Welcome to Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 10 of The Almost Christian Discovered by Matthew Mead. Section 8. A man may be a member of the Church of Christ. He may join himself to the people of God, partake with them in all ordinances, and share of all church privileges, and yet be but almost a Christian. So the five foolish virgins joined themselves to the wise and walked together. Many may be members of the Church of Christ and yet not be members of Christ, the head of the Church. There was a mixed multitude who came up with the Church of Israel out of Egypt. They joined themselves to the Israelites, owned their God, left their own country, and yet were in heart Egyptians, notwithstanding. All are not Israel that are of Israel. The church in all ages has had unsound members. Cain had communion with Abel. Ishmael dwelt in the same house with Isaac. Judas was in fellowship with the apostle, and so was Demas with the rest of the disciples. There will be some bran in the finest meal. The dragnet of the gospel catches bad fish as well as good. The tares and the wheat grow together, and it will be so till the harvest. God has a church where there are no members but such as are true members of Christ, but it is in heaven. It is the church of the firstborn. There are no hypocrites, no rotten, unsound professors, none but the spirits of just men made perfect. All is pure wheat that God lays up in that bin. There, the chaff is separated to unquenchable fire. But in the church on earth, the wheat and the chaff lie in the same heap together. The Samaritans will be near of kin to the Jews when they are in prosperity. So, while the church of God flourishes in the world, many will join it. They will seem Jews, though they are Samaritans, and seem saints, though they are no better than almost Christians. Section 9. A man may have great hopes of heaven, great hopes of being saved, and yet be but almost a Christian. Indeed, there is hope of heaven, which is the anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast. It never miscarries and is known by four properties. Number one, it is a hope that purifies the heart and purges out sin. He that hath this hope purifies himself even as God is pure. That soul that truly hopes to enjoy God truly endeavors 
to be like God. Number two, it is a hope which fills the heart with gladness. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Number three, it is a hope that is founded on the promise. As there can be no true faith without a promise, so not any true hope. Faith applies the promise and hope expects the fulfilling of the promise. Faith relies upon the truth of it and hope waits for the good of it. Faith gives interest and hope expects livery and sizing. Number four, it is a hope that is wrought by God himself in the soul. He is therefore called the God of hope as being the author as well as the object of hope. Now, he that has this hope shall never miscarry. This is a right hope, the hope of the true believer. Christ in you, the hope of glory, but then is there is a true and sound hope. So, there is a false and rotten hope. And this is much more common as bastard pearls are more frequently worn than true pearls. There is nothing more common than to see men big with groundless hopes of heaven as... A man may have great hope that has no grace. You read of the hope of hypocrites. The performance of duties is a proof of their hope. The foolish virgins would never have done what they did had they thought they should have been shut out. After all, many professors should not be at such pains in duties as they are if they did not hope. For heaven, hope is the great motive to action. Despair cuts the sinews of all endeavors. That is one reason why the damned in hell cease acting toward an alteration of their state, because despair has taken hold of them. If there were any hope in hell, they would up and be doing there so that there may be great hope where there is no grace. Experience proves this. Formal professors are men of no grace, but yet men of great hopes. Nay, many times you shall find that none fear more about their eternal condition than they who have most cause of hope, and none hope more than they who have most cause of fear. As interest in hope may sometimes be without hope, so hope in God may be without interest. A man may hope in the mercy, goodness, and power of God without eyeing the promise. This is the hope of most God is full of mercy and goodness and therefore willing to save. And he is infinite in power and therefore able to save. 
Why, therefore, should I not rest on him? Now it is presumption, and therefore sin, to hope in the mercy of God other than by eyeing the promise. For the promise is the channel of mercy through which it is conveyed. All the blessedness the saints enjoy in heaven is no other than that what is the fruit of promise relied on and hoped for here on earth. A man has no warrant to hope in God, but by virtue of the promise. A man may hope for heaven and yet not cleanse his heart, nor depart from his secret sins. That hope of salvation that is not accompanied with heart purification is a vain hope. A man may hope for heaven and yet be doing the work of hell. He may hope for salvation and yet be working out his own damnation and so perish in his confidences. This is the case of many. Like the waterman that looks one way and rows another, many have their eyes on heaven whose hearts are in the earth. They hope in God, but choose him not for a portion. They hope in God, but do not love him as the best good, and therefore are likely to have no portion in him, nor good by him, but are likely to perish without him, notwithstanding all their hopes. What is the hope of the hypocrite, though he hath gained, when God takes away his soul? Now then, if a man may have great hope of heaven that has no grace, if he may hope in mercy without eyeing the promise, if he may hope without heart purifying, if he may hope for heaven and yet do the work of hell, surely then a man may have great hopes of heaven and yet be but almost a Christian. Section 10. A man may be under great and visible changes, and these wrought by the ministry of the word, and yet be but almost a Christian. It is said, when Herod heard John Baptist, he did many things and heard him gladly. Saul was under a great change when he met the Lord's prophets. He turned prophet too. Nay, it is said, verse 9 of that chapter, that God gave him another heart. Now, was not this a work of grace? And was not Saul here truly converted? One would think he was, but yet, indeed, he was not. For though it is said God gave him another heart, yet it is not said that God gave him a new heart. There is a great difference between another heart and a new heart. God gave him another heart to fit him for a ruler, but did not give him a new heart to make him a believer 
Another heart may make another man, but it is a new heart that makes a new man. Again, Simon Magus is a great proof of this truth. He was under a great and visible change. Of a sorcerer, he was turned to be a believer. He left his witchcrafts and sorceries and embraced the gospel. Was not this a great change? If the drunkard leaves his drunkenness, the swearer his oaths, the profane person his profaneness, they think this is a gracious change, and their state is now good. Alas, Simon Magus not only left his sins, but had a kind of conversion, for he believed and was baptized. This concludes episode 10 of The Almost Christian Discovered by Matthew Mead.